It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, new research in the medical marijuana industry will help patients and dispensaries better understand how different applications of cannabis affect outcomes. Then a look at what pregnancy resource centers offer expected mothers and what they don't. Plus, the mysterious death of explorer Meriwether Lewis is the subject of a Mississippi-based independent film. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new research project is underway to better help Mississippi's cannabis patients understand which form of medical marijuana is best for them. The program will take user feedback on cannabis treatment outcomes to find out which strain of the plant or administration method is best suited for various medical needs. The research will be collected through the Relief app. Data will be made available to researchers at the University of Mississippi. Larry Walker is the interim director of the National Center for Cannabis Research and Education at the university. We developed this new center to think about avenues by which we could expand our cannabis research in new directions instead of producing for the government under this under that contract to begin to look for other research outlets, research collaborations, uh, collaborating with the developing uh, program in the state as well. Can you speak about what kind of research have y'all been doing and then what research could these new avenues change? Sure. So um, the bulk of the work we've done in the past under the NIDA program has been growing specific strains of cannabis, uh, processing those, extracting, purifying cannabinoids out of there. So it's a, it was a largely growing in chemistry program and then providing these pure cannabinoids for research. We did a few other small internal projects to try to learn more about those cannabinoids, learn about what they're doing. But now um, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to turn kind of in a new direction and begin to look at patient use, understanding um, benefits that might be derived from it, what doses, what routes of administration, what conditions are they beneficial for, and hopefully eventually into um, full-scale clinical studies, uh, you know, with clinics, uh, with the medical center, uh, cooperating with, collaborating with them to 
uh, study specific patient populations and specific doses and, and uh, routes of administration. Through the Relief app, patients will be able to anonymously log what they bought and how it affected things like sleep mood, and pain, similar to a digital diary. Angie Calhoun was an early advocate for medical marijuana. Her son moved to Colorado to have access to cannabis products to treat his medical conditions. Now she's CEO of the Mississippi Cannabis Patients Alliance. She says the partnership will help patients overcome some of the burdens of the trial and error approach. For the patients, this is a dream come true for me because I could see the the vision, you know, years ago that the data was needed to help patients to understand when they go into a dispensary, you know, what products will actually work better for certain conditions. And so, you know, through my son's trial and error in Colorado, you know, it cost us a lot of time and a lot of money. And so I thought, you know, this is a great way to bring this together. So we're going to be able to actually offer, you know, patients a great deal of information. So they, when they go into that dispensary, there will be less trial in the future. And, you know, they're actually helping other patients in the future to be able to walk in and say, okay, this condition, I have this condition, I'm going to be able to treat it with this medicine. How do you think this information that will be collected through the research will help inform people in the future about mm-hmm. what's the best product they should be looking to get? Yeah. You know, so... Through the data that we're collecting from our patients through the Relief app, we're going to be able to know what particular strains, what products from, you know, different brands and different dispensaries are working better for certain debilitating medical conditions. And so, you know, even though one brand may have, you know, XYZ flower and another has it, you know, they're all very unique in themselves and each one does actually work a little differently so you know the beauty of that is that then those brands and dispensaries will be able to know well wow you know this particular strain is not working as well you know for a certain debilitating medical condition so it's going to save our you know our cultivators and our brands and the dispensaries a lot of time and funds on, you know, knowing what products they need to actually have on their shelves readily available because they'll automatically see which ones are working better for our patients. How will this data be collected and who will be available to yeah. So the Relief App Company is who we have partnered with, along with the University of Mississippi. And so the Relief App is a very simple app that can be downloaded on your phone. And it's basically like keeping a diary of your medical cannabis use. But in that uh app also is the dispensary where you purchased your medical cannabis. And so those patients will be able to pull down that menu and say, oh, well, I used XYZ brand for, you know, and then we'll know what debilitating medical conditions that they had, um, how often they used it, what time of day, um, did they, you know, use it on an empty stomach or, you know, and did they sleep better? There's a host of information that we can, you know, come together and, and analyze this data so that the future patients will know how these products are actually working. Across the board, we've seen over and over, you know, as we were even, you know, trying to get Initiative 65 passed, that, you know, different agencies were like, oh, well, there's not enough data, or that if you had the data, the data wasn't analyzed properly. 
well, we're not going to have that anymore because through this collaborative agreement with Relief Out and the University of Mississippi and our association, we're going to really be able to give the whole world the data that they need on the efficacy of medical cannabis. I want to also rewind a little bit and talk about just the cannabis program in general mm -hmm. as we've seen it from patients. What have you been hearing for the past week and now yeah. that we are at at pretty much a week since yeah. the first day. Well, Kobe, you know, our patients are really excited that they actually have a functioning medical cannabis program, and I am so excited for them. You know, there are still a few little uh, loopholes that we have and um, some drawbacks. And one thing that I am seeing is, of course, you know, the number of dispensaries that are actually open right now. You know, we have well over a hundred that are actually licensed to operate in the state but only about 20 or so are actually approved right now and and just being really ready to open some of them are still in the con construction phase some of them are just waiting on their approval but mdor overall has been approving those dispensaries to open up and of course they have you know the metric um, tracking system and in all that ha from seed to sale and um, you know and i want to go back and reiterate on you know our research program is it's actually a seed to outcome so you know most states operate on the seed to sell practice but ours will be seed to outcome we'll know from you know the plant being the seed being planted up to the outcome for the patients and that's going to be some surreal data that will make a difference around the world Angie Calhoun is CEO of Mississippi Cannabis Patients Alliance. Coming up, a look at what pregnancy resource centers offer expectant mothers and what they don't. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In the days since abortion became heavily restricted or illegal, Pregnancy resource centers have been getting more financial support in states like Mississippi. These places aren't substitutes for health care, but in some maternity care deserts, they're the one last remaining option for pregnant people. From the Gulf States newsroom, Maya Miller takes us inside one of these centers and introduces us to the unlikely person at the helm. On a corner of Main Street in Columbus, Mississippi, sits a beige house with a teal blue door. There isn't a permanent billboard yet, just a campaign-style sign in the grass that reads, Life Choices Pregnancy Care Center. This is the new location of one of nearly 40 pregnancy resource centers in Mississippi. Inside, it feels inviting, cozy. Everything looks like something you'd find in your home. Soft leather chairs, a Keurig bar, a well-stocked mini-fridge. Breastfeeding classes, our labor and delivery classes. 
And there's something you don't often see at a pregnancy resource center. My name is Ray Campbell. I'm the director um, of Life Choices Pregnancy Care Center. And Campbell is one of the few men in Mississippi running a pregnancy resource center. He says he's here, at least in part, because of his mother. She used to volunteer at Life Choices. And so, you know, listen to my mom just tell the stories of just how wonderful this place was and, and how it worked and how God worked. That was it. He understands that he's in an interesting and rare position, a man who leads a center specifically for women. But he says he can offer some unique support. When a a father or a boyfriend walks in, when I walk around the corner there, all of a sudden it seems to be like, there's another male, there's another male here. Now, at 46, Campbell's been running the center for three years. Pregnancy resource centers steer women toward community support and resources and away from abortion. His team serves more than 100 moms each year, offering basic baby supplies, lactation support, and birthing classes, paired with Bible studies. We want them to be confident parents, be confident in their pregnancy. Life Choices operates in the Golden Triangle, an area known for tech, manufacturing, and aerospace industries in Mississippi. There are a few birthing centers and hospitals offering obstetric care in the Triangle, but it is surrounded by maternity care deserts where there are no health care facilities or providers specifically for pregnant people. The stats are similar for counties in Alabama, which border the Triangle. Not enough OBGYNs, not enough hospitals. And in Louisiana, about half of the parishes have low or no access to obstetric care providers at all. So it's very concerning for pediatricians, for OBGYNs, for those of us who take care of moms and babies. That's Dr. Anita Henderson, past president of the Mississippi chapter of the Academy of Pediatrics. Here in Mississippi... Our maternal mortality rates are double the national average. So how can we help these moms? What can we do? She says pregnancy resource centers have a role to play, but they aren't a perfect substitute for the moms they serve. They do not provide health care. They are not able to care for moms postpartum or prenatal. That type of health care is getting harder and harder to find in the Delta and other rural areas as hospitals and neonatal ICUs close. But at Life Choices, Campbell says he thinks more about what they can offer instead of what they can't. If you need the support, we're here to support you in, in your pregnancy and then two years after. Campbell says his center has clients who sometimes travel long distances for a visit, and some come over from Alabama. Most are lower-income women, and he says the center helps them navigate their options. Oh, I mean, we've had clients say, you know, I don't know if I can have a baby because of the cost. And we're like, but do you know about Medicaid? And they're like, oh, what is that? Nearly half of live births in Mississippi are covered by Medicaid, but that coverage expires 60 days after the birth of the child. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of maternal mortality in the country, and most of those deaths occur after childbirth. And with the state's near-total ban on abortion, that means more, riskier births for moms in the region. Pregnancy resource centers like Life Choices are often criticized for steering women away from getting abortions. Campbell says they don't avoid the topic, but Life Choices is proudly anti-abortion. So we do educate. We do educate on abortion. We don't shy away from it. We tell them the risk um, of abortion, what abortion is. But then we also talk about adoption. So we give them all the choices. 
As states adjust to the reality of abortion bans, pregnancy resource centers, like Life Choices, may begin to emerge as the only options for some pregnant people. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Maya Miller. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, the mysterious death of explorer Meriwether Lewis is the subject of a Mississippi-based independent film. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Clark Ritchie isn't a filmmaker by trade. The 50-something Baldwin resident is a professional mechanical engineer with a business in northeast Mississippi. But that hasn't stopped him from creating six shooter studios and turning out a future, a rather a feature film, Mysterious Circumstance, which Richie wrote and directed, will air tonight on MPB TV at 7 p.m. It tells the story of the unresolved 1809 demise of explorer Meriwether Lewis. Richie tells our Michael Guidry how he got into filmmaking and what drew him to this particular story. I've just always had an interest in the entertainment side of things. Uh, so I've always written and I've uh, been very interested in history. I'm a collector of historic artifacts. And uh, in all of that, I've been a great student of the Natchez Trace and the history of my own community here in North Mississippi. So as I advanced through the years, I reached a point where uh, I got involved in theater. I actually renovated a building in my hometown of Baldwin into a community theater, got involved in acting. And one thing led to another. And the next thing you know, I was interested in filmmaking and opportunity presented itself with mysterious circumstance, and uh, the rest is history, or it's ongoing history anyway. Mysterious circumstance, the death of Meriwether Lewis. I know you, if you drive along the trace, you'll pass markers for uh, his burial site. The, a guy that I think most people associate with the, the, the quest out west, but here he is buried along the trace. What is it about that story that, that, that drew you, compelled you to, to, to write this film? Well, you sort of hit on it, Michael. You associate Meriwether Lewis with the Lewis and Clark expedition. You don't associate Meriwether Lewis with his death, unexplained, mysterious, suspicious death in the middle of Tennessee, three years after he got back from his expedition. It's a story that's largely unknown, and that essentially is what drew me to that story. I I went to school at Tennessee Tech University. I got my engineering degree there in Cookville, Tennessee. And when I was going to school, I traveled the Natchez Trace. I passed the Meriwether Lewis death site many times for many months before I realized that that is the Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark. And I think that fact is something that instantly engages people, at least in our area, that they just didn't really understand that Lewis of Lewis and Clark died right here in, in western Tennessee, just above the Mississippi line. When when taking on a, a, an historical subject uh, and a figure like Meriwether Lewis, um, but also trying to you know craft a, 
a compelling narrative. Uh, what's that process like, um, honoring historical record, uh, while at the same time knowing that this is something that needs to engage audiences um, and I, you need a compelling narrative? How do you work with how those things intersect when, when you develop a, a, a script and a screenplay? Well, the wonderful thing about the death of Meriwether Lewis, which is an odd way of putting it, the wonderful thing about his death, what, is that there is uh, a treasure trove of argument out there to draw from, from very qualified historians who fall on many sides of which way Meriwether Lewis's death actually occurred. So I, I wasn't dealing with a hard and fixed narrative that this is absolutely the way this happened. I was dealing with the ambiguity and mystery and alternate uh, possibilities. And that's that's some rich turf for a, a creative person, a filmmaker, a writer like myself. And so we've talked about kind of the genesis of this idea. What about the fruition? How do you go about getting a, a story like this uh, from the page to the screen uh, and doing so primarily where where you are in that northeastern uh, corner of the state? Well, I have a, a great friend who works with me with Six Shooter Studios. We, we made some music videos. We made some little short films, some documentaries on uh, supernatural uh, investigators and things like that. And her name's Amy Gusage. And we had this great idea that we wanted to create a, a, a feature film right here in North Mississippi. And so uh, we evaluated many, many different, uh, you know, ideas, and we settled on the Meriwether Lewis one because we thought not only is it the, one of the most intriguing stories, it was also one of the most producible stories. And I was also able to leverage, you know, my engineering and project management background on the analytical side of me that I've been involved in that pursuit for 30 years. Uh, I was also able to leverage that and it's very, very surprising how similar producing a movie is to producing some construction project or some engineering project. You have resources, you have people, you have deadlines, you have a budget. And so it just sort of the intersection of a lot of different things at this time in my life put it uh, out there as an achievable goal in front of me, and uh, Amy and I went after it and did it. I've seen the press kit. This thing's gone to festivals. You, you've gotten a lot of recognition. How, how do you get this this thing that you've that you've built in front of eyes? And and what's that process like when you don't have the backing of a major studio? Uh, that is the most difficult thing in independent filmmaking is trying to get someone to see your product. Uh, we made the decision right out of the gate that we we were going to use uh, quality actors. Uh, a great cast, uh, some name actors. We got John Schneider. That was one of the first things that we did is we uh, we approached John, um, Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazard, Jonathan Ken on Smallville. Uh, everyone knows John Schneider, so we wanted a good name in the movie. And so we went we went to John. Amy had a past relationship with John that they had worked together on some projects, and so we reached out to him, and, and he agreed to do the project. That was step one. And so... After that, we just proceeded to try to do everything in a quality way. Um, and as, th as this was our first feature film from our studio, we really didn't have any option other than to make the product and then 
advanced the product to distribution after it was done. We were an untried entity, and so we were absolutely in a situation that we had to create something and then present it. And in the end, we walked that razor's edge and produced something that was quality, a quality that was greater than our budget, we feel like. And so we presented it in a few film festivals, and we got immediate success in those film festivals. So we we're still running with it. And once we got some success in the film festivals, then some doors to distribution were opened. And uh, we signed with Vision Films in uh, Marina del Rey, California, and they now have our have our film, and they're distributing it uh, throughout the world. Well, congratulations on that from from uh, from Baldwin, Mississippi, to to, to California uh, with this uh, <laughs> with this idea. Clark Ritchie, uh, the director writer of Mysterious Circumstance, the death of Meriwether Lewis. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk about your process and and how this thing. Um, you went from, from pen to screen. Michael, I really appreciate the time. Mississippi is filled with creative people per capita, the most creative artistic state in the United States. Mysterious Circumstance, The Death of Meriwether Lewis airs tonight on MPB-TV at 7. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.